My wife and I were in Chicago all this week for a wedding. Uh, a member actually of our launch team that was a part of the team that helped launch Harbor Church, she got married this weekend and, and asked if we would come up and be a part of her wedding, which we were so honored to do. And she's obviously since moved up there. And, and we just had an incredible time all week there in Chicago. But the wedding actually took place about 40 minutes outside of the city. So we went up a few days early to spend some time and to enjoy a little bit, a little bit colder weather for a few days and to see a little bit of the season for a few days. And, uh, but at the end of the week, we, we took an Uber up to the, the wedding. So we were in an Uber for almost an hour. And then on our way back, we, we got this driver who on the way up, our driver, honestly, he didn't speak any English. And so we were just kind of hanging out, driving for an hour or so. And then when we got in the car to come home, it was pretty apparent immediately that like this driver was ready for a conversation. And I'm hit or miss on whether or not I'm ready for a conversation with a stranger. And so we got in the car with him, and he just immediately started asking questions. He immediately started telling us about himself. And I'm looking, I'm like, we've got an hour, and I think this guy's going to talk wall to wall. I think he's going to literally talk beginning to end. I don't know if we'll get in a word or not, but he is just going. Ten minutes in, I know why he's here. He immigrated to the country 20 years ago. He's working on a business. He's from Sri Lanka. He's going to start a food kitchen with Sri Lankan food. And he's like, people don't know that the food in Sri Lanka is just incredible. It's like Indian food, but better. And so I'm like, tell me about the food. Food and he just goes. He's like 10 minutes in. He's telling me to Google certain herbs. He's like, you can't get this locally, but listen, you can find it. Here's a website. And I'm like writing stuff down. I don't even know why I'm not going to order it. But he's, he's telling me all this information about how they make their food, how they eat their food. And I'm like, how, what is like the meat in Sri Lankan food? Like, cause you keep saying how you prepare it, but what is it? And he said, well, we use different meats, but he was like, I'm, I'm only going to use chicken and lamb because if I use, or chicken and lamb, because if I use beef, the, the Muslims in the city won't eat it. And if I use pork, the Hindus in the city won't eat it. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And he's like, I know because I grew up Hindu and, and we, we will not eat it. They won't eat it. Even if it's prepared in the same kitchen, they will not eat it. So I got to ch- stick to chicken and I got to stick to lamb. And he's like, have you ever had lamb? I'm like, yeah, I've had lamb. We kind of have this conversation about this. And he's like, he's like, so I've talked a lot. What do you do? And every time someone asks me what I do, I'm at a crossroads because I can either tell them what I do or I can get creative about what I do. And I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, I have almost an hour left with this man who just told me he grew up Hindu. Am I going to say, oh, I'm a pastor or am I going to like kind of find a way to say something else? And so I'm sitting there for a minute. I'm like, oh, actually, you know, I'm a pastor. We started a church a year ago and he that is wonderful, he says. He said, that, that is incredible. I love that. I love that. Because he said, here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. He said, what I've learned is that every religion is seeking after God. Every religion is going after God. We're all climbing the same mountain. We're all on our way up the same mountain. We're all going to reach the top. We're all going to see God eventually. We're all going up the same mountain. And he's kind of going down this road for a minute. And I say, how did you, how did you come to that realization? How did you come to that? And he starts kind of going into some of his story and how he came to that realization. And I said, tell me about growing up Hindu, because I said, I know a little bit about your religion, but I don't honestly know a lot. I don't know anybody that grew up Hindu. Tell me a little bit about growing up Hindu. And, and, and by the way, when, when these doors open for you to share your faith, like sometimes I think that we feel like our role is to immediately just tell someone what we believe, why we believe it, and why they should believe it. But what I've realized over the years is that so often if we just continue to ask questions, and we continue to ask questions, and you continue to ask questions, it will reveal something in them that they are searching for. 
that gives you the opportunity to point to Jesus. And so I keep asking him questions and I keep asking him questions. And I say, so tell me, tell me what it was like growing up Hindu. And he goes, oh, Hinduism is total garbage. And I was like, now I'm confused because you've just told me everything about Hinduism, but now you say it's total garbage. Why would you say that it's total garbage? And he said, because of my mother. And that was not the, ex- the answer that I was expecting at all. And he said, he said, my mother, he said, I'm estranged from my mother. I don't get along with my mother. I don't get along with my family. And he said, here's why I don't get along with my mother. Here's why I don't get along with my family. My mother is a good Hindu and a big sinner. He said, my mother is, is a good Hindu and a terrible person. He said, my, my mother is a good Hindu and she's cruel. She's unkind. There's no truth in her. He said, there's no love in her. She does not love me as her son. There is no love in her. She is a good Hindu, but she is a cruel person. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, it, it doesn't matter what religion you say you belong to. It doesn't matter what, what you profess to believe. If your life does not line up with what you say you believe, to the world, it's garbage. Like, it, it, to the world, they just say, there is, there is no change in this. There is no difference in this. There is no, there is no transformation in this. He said, she, she does all of these things, but her life doesn't change. He, literally, he, said, he said, she goes to this man who she pays to, to do what she calls sin minusing. He tells her how much she has sinned throughout the week, and then he tells her how much she owes him, and then she pays him, and he says, your sins are subtracted. You're back to zero. And so she can act however she wants. She can treat us however she wants. And it doesn't matter because she knows at the end of the week, she's going to go pay and her sins are going to be minus. And he said, there's just, there's no love in her. And I said, see, this is actually the exact reason that, that out of all of the religions of the world that I think so many people stick with Christianity. Because what you're talking about, what you're talking about, this, this journey up the mountain, you're talking about how, how all religions are just working hard to see God. They're just climbing to see God. They're just trying to do everything they can to see God. They're trying to modify their behavior to get to God. See, out of all of those religions, Christianity is the only religion where God came to us. And I said, you, you started this conversation by saying your understanding of God is that God is love. And how much more if a God loves you, would he come to you rather than make you work to come to him? How much more would he come to you than making you climb the mountain just to be in his presence? See, God came to you. And it just reminded me that as followers of Jesus, the thing that sets us apart is not just our behavior. It's not just our morals. It's not just the standard by which we live in. It's the work that God does on our heart. It's the transformation that God does on our heart that sets us apart as followers of Jesus. That it's the work that he does, not just on the outside, but on the inside. It's the work that he does in our heart. This is why so often Jesus spoke to religious leaders of the day about the heart. Because he said, I see that you're trying. I see that you're going through the motion. I see that you're doing all of the things that you need, that you think you need to do, but your heart is not changing. Your heart for people is not being transformed. Your heart for people is not being softened. This is why Jesus said things like, if you make the tree good, the fruit will be good. But as long as the tree is bad, the fruit will be bad. And he went on to say, it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. In other words, everything that you're saying is coming from your heart. The way that you treat people is coming from your heart. The way that you act towards the people around you is coming from your heart. And when your heart is out of rhythm with how God created you to be, it will find its way out in the rest of your life. 
It will find its way out in your words. It will find its way out in your actions. It will find its way out in the way that you treat the people around you. I mean, have you, have you ever just felt out of rhythm in life? If I'm being completely honest with you, I feel a little out of rhythm today. I don't know about you, but anytime I come back from any kind of travel, it just takes me some time to get back into the rhythm of being home. It takes me a little bit of time to get back into the rhythm of our family structure and our schedule because I've gone from this entire week of just no schedule, sleeping in, doing what we want, to being back in the house with the kids, doing everything that we normally do. And it sometimes kind of hits you like a freight train. Maybe you've walked through a season of loss of someone you love or of a job or of a relationship and, and it throws you for a loop. You find yourself just feeling out of rhythm. And when you're out of rhythm, you start to feel it in every area of your life. And when your heart is out of rhythm, you start to feel it in every area of your life because what happens in your heart is not isolated to your heart. Even just in a physical sense, what, what, what is going on in your heart will find its way through the rest of your body. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. It is a wellspring of life. In other words, everything flows from it. In fact, many trans, uh, 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 translations, thank you, many translations actually say, for everything you do flows from your heart. Everything you do flows from your heart. It is the wellspring from which everything flows. Proverbs 25, 20 verse 5 says it this way, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Everything that flows through your heart is affected by your heart. And I think one of the realizations that we have to have, one of the filters that we have to look at our life through is this idea that our heart is the well from which everything flows from which everything is drawn from, that it all begins in our heart. And the first step to really, to really making sure that everything that comes out of that heart is the way it needs to be, the first step to getting in rhythm with, with the way that God wants you to walk is to make sure that the water coming from your heart is pure, that it is a pure well that you can draw from. See, when the Bible talks about how if, if, you, if you delight in God, he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, what he's not saying is, if you will put me first and if you will delight in me, I'll give you everything you want. What he's saying is, if you will delight in me, if you will put your trust in me, if you will delight in me, you can trust the desires of your heart because the desires of your heart will begin to change with the new heart that I give you. See, that's the great thing about the work that God does in our heart. God does not repair your broken heart. God does not soften your heart. The Bible says that God gives us a new heart, that God gives us new desires, that God gives us new wants, new desires that line up with what he has for us. If you delight in him, you can trust your desires. I was talking to our team earlier this week, and we were talking about how I just feel this sense that, that so many people in this day, so many people right now are feeling unsettled, that so many people ju just need to feel settled. And, and as I've been praying about this, as I've been thinking about this, I just time and time again, I've come across story after story in the Bible where it talks about people settling next to wells. And there is a reason that people settle next to wells because wells are a source of life. 
Wells bring the water of life. That in Bible times, if you were to strike water, it was like striking oil. You knew that you could survive. You knew that you could live off of what was provided by that well. And the condition of the well determined the ability to settle. And for those of us who, who maybe are feeling that sense of, of feeling unsettled, the condition of your heart will determine your ability to truly feel settled. The, the purity of your heart will, will determine your ability to truly feel settled. In Genesis chapter 26, beginning in verse 1, we, we pick up the story of Isaac. And if you're familiar with Isaac, it's Abraham's son. And, and Abraham is this amazing man of God in the history of the children of Israel. And, and there's story after story of Abraham's faithfulness towards God. And now we're dealing with his offspring, with, with Isaac. And it says this, now there was famine in the land besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. Now notice in this moment that, that we, we can kind of infer from the text that Isaac is probably getting a little bit antsy because there's a famine in the land, because there is no provision in the land. And so Isaac is looking for a way out. Isaac is probably looking for the place that can provide for him. And God knows that the place that you would look if you need provision in this time is, is the land of Egypt. That if you would just go to Egypt, perhaps all of your needs could be provided for. And I think so often in our lives, the moment we start to feel any sense of scarcity, the moment we start to feel any sense of unsettling, the, the moment that we start to feel any sense of being antsy, the moment that we begin to feel any sense that we cannot take care of ourselves, we begin to look for a place that can take care of us. We begin to search for that thing that can satisfy our deepest desires. We begin to search for that place that can satisfy our deepest desires or that person or that relationship or that circumstance or that job that can satisfy our desires. But the truth is that none of those things will satisfy. None of those things will settle if our heart is not settled where God wants us to be. If our heart is not settled in the place that God has us. And so God says clearly to Isaac, stay put. Stay where I've put you and I will provide for you there. See, sometimes I think that we don't realize that God will leave us in a situation where it feels like there is no provision to remind us that he's our provider. That so often we will begin to, to search for ways to provide for ourselves when God says, no, if you would just wait, I will provide for you. I will provide for you in the place that I brought you to. That you don't need to move places, you don't need to move people, that I will provide for you in the place where I have called you. Don't try to do this on your own. Don't try to walk on your own. Don't try to provide for yourself. Trust me to be your provider where I have you. See, so often we think we need to know where we need to be and where we need to get our source of provision. And God is reminding Isaac in this moment, he's saying, stay put in the place where there is a famine, in the place where it seems like there is nothing for you, stay put, and I will provide for you. And then we pick up the story in verse 12, and, and we know that Isaac has actually stayed where God told him to say, and it says, Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. I love that it's like he became rich and then he became very wealthy. It just kept growing. His, his wealth just kept growing. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. 
So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. He gave them the same names his father had given them. Notice that it says he settled there and reopened the wells that his father had dug before him. See, Isaac became so prosperous that his enemies began to get jealous and his enemies began to get afraid because suddenly there was someone that was prospering in the famine. There, there was someone that was actually thriving in a moment where he shouldn't be thriving. That there was, there was someone who actually had what he needed when no one else had what they needed. And sometimes when God begins to provide for you in the famine, other people are going to look at you and not appreciate it. Other people are going to look at you and say, listen, it would be easier for us if you just left. See, because sometimes your success, sometimes your ability to thrive in circumstances where you shouldn't thrive and you shouldn't succeed actually will threaten people. It will actually cause people to look at you and say, listen, it would be easier for you to leave than for us to trust God the way you do. It would be easier for us to walk away from this situation, for us to trust God like we do. As long as you are here, as long as you are around us proving that God is faithful and proving that God provides, it's just too much for us. It would be easier for us to step away. See, and he prospered. Why? Because he had the wells of his father. He had the wells of the generation that went before him. He had the wells of his father. Even in famine, Isaac had a source of water. Even in famine, Isaac had a source that provided for him. See, Abraham was, was known as a man who built altars. All throughout the story of Abraham, every time God provides for his family, every time God does what he says he will do, every time God is faithful to Abraham, it says, Abraham built an altar. Abraham built an altar. Abraham built an altar. He has a reputation for building altars. But it's important for us to realize that Abraham did not just build altars. Abraham also dug wells. And there's a difference between an altar and a well. See, an altar will remind you of God's goodness and faithfulness. But, but a well is a source of God's goodness and faithfulness. A well is something that you can return to and you can draw from and you can pull from. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be someone who only leaves altars in my life. I want to be someone who leaves wells for the people that come after me to actually be able to draw from, for the people who come after me to actually be able to draw from the faithfulness and the goodness of God. See, Abraham dug and defended wells so that his family would have a source to draw from in the years to come. Abraham dug and defended wells so that his sons and his daughters and his grandchildren would have a source of water. And this would have been really difficult work at that time. There were no trucks. There were no drills. There were, there were no tools. It was just digging and digging and digging and digging wells. And digging wells was an act of faith. Digging wells was an act of faith saying, God, I know that you have brought me to this place and if you have brought me to this place, and if I dig far enough, and if I dig deep enough, I will hit water. That if I dig far enough, and I dig deep enough, you will provide for me where you have put me. That if I dig far enough, and I dig deep enough, you will show me your faithfulness, and you will show me your goodness. And so Abraham dug wells, and it was hard work, and it was an act of faith. But he started digging, 
But what's interesting is, is that some of us in this room are living off of wells that were dug in previous generations. All of you are sitting in this room because of wells that were dug back in my family history, generations ago, of people who decided to dig wells, who decided to, to, to live a life trusting God's faithfulness as a model, trusting God's faithfulness as an example. And for some of you, you may be the first generation digging well for your future. That your faithfulness of showing up, your faithfulness of trusting God, your faithfulness of going where God tells you to go, doing what God tells you to do, and saying what God tells you to do will be a well for your future generations. This church will be a well for future generations. This church will be a well for our children and our grandchildren. This digging is not in vain. And see, Isaac's enemies realized, they realized that his advantage was the wells that his father had dug. They realized that that if they could just get dirt in the wells, they could stifle his success. They could stifle his thriving. If they could just get dirt in the wells, they knew if they could keep him from the water, they could control him. They knew if they could keep him from the water, they could keep him weak. If they could keep him from the water, they could defeat him. See, they realized if they wanted to stop Isaac, all they had to do was stop up the wells. If they wanted to stop Isaac, all they had to do was get dirt in the wells. So they filled the wells with dirt. And see, the enemy today realizes that your heart is a well. And just like the wells of Abraham were a target, your heart is a target for the enemy. That if I can just get a little dirt in your heart, he can stifle your fruitfulness. If he can just get a little dirt in the well of your heart, he can stifle your success. He can stifle what God wants to do in your life. I don't think it's a coincidence that it says the Philistines filled the wells when Abraham died. They filled the wells when Abraham died. See, they knew that the person who had worked so hard to dig those wells was not going to let them get refilled. They knew that the person who had spent his energy and his time and his resources to dig those wells was going to defend those wells. But they were not so sure that the next generation would be willing to sacrifice and willing to defend the wells that they did not dig. And so they waited until he died and filled them with dirt. But eventually Isaac gets to a place where he realizes, I cannot survive without the fresh water of those wells. I cannot survive without the fresh water of the wells that my father dug. And so he does two very important things. He returns to the wells and he reopens the wells. He returns to the wells and he reopens the wells. He realized if if I don't get this dirt out of these wells, I will not be able to live where God called me to live. That if, if God or if the enemy can just pollute the water of the wells, I will not be able to survive in the land where God called me. If I can just pollute the water of the wells, I will not be able to live fruitfully and faithfully in the place that God has called me to. And we we cannot allow the wells of our hearts to be polluted by the enemy because it will not allow us to live in the land that he's called us to. It will not allow us to bear the fruit that he's called us to to bear if we allow dirt into our wells. So he returned to those wells. And it's time for some of us to return to the things that we were once passionate about. It's time for some of us to return to the goodness of God. It's time for some of us to return to our trust in God. It's time for some of us to return to those moments in God's presence where we trusted him fully and completely and to reopen those wells. We have to return to those wells because here's the thing, the water is still there. The water is still flowing. 
The water of those wells was still there. They just couldn't get to it. The water was still there. They just had to dig out some of the dirt. They just had to dig out some of what was polluting. And I think there's some of us here in this place today that we've allowed a little bit of dirt to get in our hearts. We've allowed a little bit of pollution to seep its way into our heart so that we begin to question the place that God's called us to. We begin to question the things that God has called us to because we've allowed these pollutants into our heart. And it's time for us to redig the wells. It's time for us to redig the wells and to get to the water that God has provided to sustain us where he has called us. And so just quickly, I want to I wanna talk about three wells that we need to return to. And the first is the well of worship. If we're going to settle our hearts in the place that God has us, we have to return to the well of worship. We have to return to the presence of God. The well of worship is often clogged by the dirt of our pride. It's often clogged by the dirt of our pride, our just not wanting to surrender, our just not wanting to submit to the presence of God. We have to be a people and we have to be a church that that honors and values worship, honors and values the presence of God. one One of my proudest moments so far in the history of our church, last week was Mission Sunday. It was an incredible week. I loved having Fan and Megan here. I loved hearing about all that they're doing in Hope Project. I loved hearing about the way that, that we're able to partner with them. But then when we went to lunch after church, and some of you may have seen, he, he kind of made some of these comments online as well. But when we went to lunch after church, he said, man, I'm in a lot of churches lately, and I just feel like your church loves the presence of God. I feel like your church has a value for the presence of God. And that is a well that we have to keep open. That is a well that we cannot allow to be polluted by our own pride. That is a well that we cannot allow to be polluted by our own dignity. We have to be willing to be a people of worship. We have to be, honestly, we have to be men that lead our families in worship. We have to be women that lead our families in worship. We have to be people that step up and lead our families in worship, not just here, but in the home. We have to let our kids see that we are people of worship. We have to let the people that are coming after us see that we are people of worship. See, I think it's no coincidence that in this same story, it says that, that Isaac, he, he dug the wells, he reopened the wells. But then when he settled, he dug a well of his own. And it says, Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. This is the same phrase we see time and time again about Abraham. Abraham built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. It is no accident that this son of a father who built altars and called on the name of the Lord, when the Lord provided for him, he built an altar and he called on the name of the Lord. See, what we have to realize is these moments that we have in God's presence, when we come together as a church and we worship, when we come together and we honor God, when we come together and we lift our hands and we surrender our moment to God, these are not just moments that happen and then pass us by Sunday after Sunday. These are wells that are being dug. These are altars that are being built. These are moments that our kids are watching, that they're seeing, that my dad, my mom, she builds altars. My dad, my mom, she worships. She digs wells. See, that the son was following in the footsteps of the father in this moment. Isaac grew up watching Abraham build an altar every time the Lord provided, every time the Lord came through. And we need to be a people who are intentional about pointing out the moments in our families and in our lives where God provides for us. That we don't just let it pass by and we say, oh, God provided for us. No, we need to take a moment. For those of us that have kids, we need to take a moment and explain to them, hey, do you remember this moment? Do you remember when we prayed that this would happen? Do you remember when we took this step? Do you remember when we believed for this thing? This is it happening. 
We're building an altar in this moment. We're reminding you that this is not just a coincidence. This is not just happenstance, that this is something we prayed and believed for. And so as our family, we're building an altar. We, we are building an altar and we are calling on the name of the Lord. Abraham built an altar and Isaac was able to unclog the, wall, the, the wells to find a place to settle. Secondly, we need to return to the well of sacrifice. The well of sacrifice often gets clogged by the dirt of selfishness. That so often we, we, we just don't want to. Like so often we just look at what God is asking us to do. We look at what God is asking us to believe him for. We look at what God is asking us to have faith for and we just don't want to do it. We just think there's an easier way. We just think that we know better. But we have to return to the altar of sacrifice. See, I love that, that God opened by telling Isaac, stay put, don't look at Egypt. Don't look at Egypt. So often we, we find ourselves looking at where everybody else is, what everybody else has, how God has worked in everybody else's life, or, or people that aren't even following God that seem to be progressing better than we are, seem to be doing better than we are. And we think it's not worth the sacrifice. It's not worth the sacrifice. Comparison will get in and clog the well of sacrifice. Second guessing will get in the well of sacrifice. We have to follow what God has called us to do, even when it feels like a sacrifice. We have to remember that the places that God sets us are not always for us. That when Isaac unclogged those wells, it didn't just bring water forth for him and his family, but it brought water forth for that nation. It brought water forth for those people that God may have you in a place that feels like a sacrifice for you so that others can benefit. That God may have you in a place that, that feels like a sacrifice so that others can drink of the water, so that others can experience the life that you have experienced. It's a theme throughout scripture where God is continuing, continuing to tell the nation of Israel, do not look to Egypt to provide for you. Do not look to return to Egypt to provide for you. Do not look to go to Egypt to provide for you. Trust in me to provide for you, even when it feels like a sacrifice. Isaac is the very Isaac who, you may know the story, God called his father to walk up a mountain and to sacrifice his son, Isaac, to sacrifice this very Isaac that we are reading about. Isaac walked up the mountain with his father, questioning Where's the sacrifice? Where is the sacrifice? And I think part of the reason that Isaac was questioning where is the sacrifice is because he was starting to put together, maybe I'm the sacrifice. And he walked with his father. He walked with his father as his father trusted. And notice what, what his dad said in that moment when they were climbing that mountain of sacrifice, when Isaac said, where is the sacrifice? Abraham didn't say, well, actually, Isaac, God's called me to sacrifice you. So let's just keep walking. He said, no, Isaac, God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide the sacrifice. Abraham knew walking up that mountain, if push comes to shove, God, I, I am willing to do what you've called me to do. But I also believe in your character enough to know that you will provide the sacrifice, that you will give us what we need in this moment. And Isaac watched his father walk up that mountain, trusting that God would provide the sacrifice. And so Isaac was able to stand in the land that God called him to. He was able to stand in a place of sacrifice because Abraham went before him and he saw sacrifice modeled. 
he saw sacrifice modeled. And so, and so Isaac was able to stand in that land. Isaac was able to draw from that well of his father. Isaac was able to draw from that well that his father had dug and say, I can stand here and I can reopen this well because you've left it for me because you will provide the sacrifice. And ultimately we know that in that moment that God was, was testing Abraham's faith. That God was saying, do you just have enough faith in me to walk this out? Do you have enough faith to me in me to walk this all the way through. And that's the third well that we need to reopen is the well of faith, the well of faith. It's so often clogged by the dirt of doubt that we just begin to let doubt in. We begin to let doubt into what God has called us to do. We begin to let doubt into what we believe about God, what we believe God can do, what we, what we believe about if he will actually come through for us. In Luke 18 verse eight, Jesus actually says to a group of people, he's honestly frustrated with their lack of faith. After what they've seen, after what they've heard, that they would still lack faith. And Jesus says, when when the son of man returns, will I still find faith in the earth? Will there still be people who have faith in what I've said? Will there still be people who have faith for healing? Will there still be people who have faith for, for, for loved ones who are away from the Lord to come back to the Lord? Will there still be people who have faith for salvation? When I return, will there still be people of faith? And we have to be those people who, who reopen the wells of faith and say, we're actually going to believe what God says, that we're actually going to believe in faith for healing. We're actually going to believe in ha- uh, faith for restoration. We're gonna believe for health. We're gonna believe for, for, for children who have gone away, for parents who have walked away, For loved ones who have walked away, we're still going to have faith for relationships to be restored. We're still going to have faith that God can do all of the things that he said he can do. We're still going to have faith for our kids. We're still going to have faith for our families. See, so many times we're, we're, we're worried about our kids. We're worried about our families. Just if we could get them in the right circumstance, if we could get them in the right situation, then they will be protected. We need to have faith for our kids in the place that God called us to. We need to have faith for our families in the place that God called us to. We need to have faith for, for our circumstances in the place where God called us to. If we really want to secure the future for our children, if we really want to secure the future for the next generation that's coming up after us, even within this church, the best thing we can do is settle our hearts where God has us and begin to reopen the wells, begin to reopen the wells of worship, the wells of sacrifice, and the wells of faith. See, I I know, I know you look around you. I I know, I know you think you see where, where things can be provided for you. I think you, I know you think you see the source of what you need. I know you think you, you see the circumstance you need to be in to thrive. I know you, you think you see the circumstance that, that you need to be in to be provided for. But God says, stay right where you are, where I've called you. Stand right where I've called you to be. Don't look to Egypt. Don't look, don't look to your left. Don't look to your right. Don't look to Egypt to provide for you. Just stand right where you are because there are wells there for you to uncover. And there are the wells of people who have gone before you. There are the wells of people who have walked this road before you. There are the wells of people who have walked the walk of faith before you. And we need to begin to unclog those wells. We need to begin to unclog those wells and dig new wells. See, people have sacrificed and worked hard so that we can come together in a place like this and worship. We should never take that for granted. We should never be people who just stand 
idly by when we have an opportunity to worship because somebody dug that well. And we need to make sure that it stays open because the water is still there. The water is still there to provide for all of our needs, for everything that we would have. Would you stand all across this room? Bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning.